Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will Barber-Taylor, and in the second part of our Keir Starmer special, I'll once again be joined by the same panel to discuss a variety of issues relating to Keir Starmer's first year as leader of the Labour Party. They will include transphobia in the Labour Party, Black Lives Matter, how Keir Starmer has uh, reacted to both issues, drugs policy and policing in the Labour Party, patriotism, the so-called flag gate, Keir Starmer going forward into the future, this year's May local elections and regional elections, and of course the 2024 general election, and many other things besides. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I hope you enjoyed listening to the first part. We are going to energise the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr Nice Guy. Another future's possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Now, I think um, Lauren touched upon this. Uh, transphobia has something has been something that has uh, overshadowed uh, Keir Starmer's time as leader of the Labour Party. And there have been a, a, a lot of discussions and a lot of pain related to the subject. So I'd now like to ask you all to discuss how he's handled it. Lauren, if you could start, how do you think Keir Starmer has handled transphobia in the Labour Party? Um, I'd struggle to say that he's even handled it because that would imply that we've seen anything done when Mm. it's um, reared its head. Uh, So, you know, I touched on it earlier, but it is an absolute dereliction of duty, in my opinion, that we've got so many transphobes allowed to be comfortable in our party. Uh, You know, this isn't new. It's been happening for ages. It happened under Corbyn, and I dare say it happened before. Uh, But I don't think... It was an issue that was being used by sort of the right as such a culture war. And so maybe it wasn't quite as at the forefront. I've got many trans friends who don't feel safe in the party. Some of them have left. I even left for a brief period until some trans friends told me that I should stay and fight for change. So I did. Um, you know, part of me thinks that Keir sees his role as a cisgender man as to kind of facilitate some kind of debate and not fall on either side of the divide. But at the same time, there are MPs like Alex Sobel who have unequivocally supported trans people and done so vocally. So it can and should be done. You know, allies are important and Labour should be the most ardent ally of all. But at the moment, our leader and his inaction is kind of flying in the face of that. Uh, what I think we need is a proper, well, it's not for me to say what we need, but what I've seen transgender people in our party say they would like is a proper definition of transphobia and to actually listen, and to ensure that at every level of governance in our party, whether that's branch level, to Young Labour, to the NEC, to Lotto, that we are inclusive and we are welcoming. And I think the biggest thing, I think the start, and I think it would go a long way to help the situation, is to take action against Rosie Duffield. Do you think Rosie Duffield should be expelled from the Parliamentary Labour Party? Yes. What are your thoughts on transphobia in the Labour Party? Do you agree with Lauren that uh, framing it as to whether Keir Starmer, uh, how well Keir Starmer's handled it, suggests that he hasn't even handled it and it's so bad that he hasn't handled it? Or uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I'm going to be very, very careful because since I'm a cis straight male uh, and uh, so I will speak from the experience of what I've been hearing and from what I know. And 
I, I agree completely with Lauren. I think hand, like that, you know, handling it meant that he's done something. He's done absolutely nothing. And I think one thing we also got to point out, I'm not doing this to defend Keir Starmer because he should, he shouldn't be defended his conduct. Well, what the lack of the things he's doing is disgraceful. This is a party issue. It is not a factional issue. You will see um, one of the probably, yeah, one of the probably things you'll see unite the party in somewhere, in some ways, you'll see people from the, the left all the way to the right sort of excuse transphobia within their ranks and within mm. their party. That will, that means there needs to be a deep cleansing. But with anti-Semitism with Jeremy Corbyn, the buck stops with Keir Starmer because he's a leader and he divide, he he will he's the party he's the party leader he's the one that 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 will have to set the narrative. And he should go out and say, this is disgraceful. But he won't because, like as Lauren said, he felt like there's this need to facilitate it. And also, you know, that culture war thing, it'll, they'll say it'll bite back to hurt him. And, you know, enemies of the Labour Party will, will try and run away with it. I think Rosie Duffield should have been expelled a long time ago. And, um, um, you know, she should have been suspended. And... Like the EHRC, for instance, was very, very clear on on, on the conduct. Likes do do count as mm. as conduct into this, and um, if if we have to address it full scale, we have to address it full scale. And so, Rosie Duffield's conduct is absolutely unacceptable. The fact that she has the ability to go and attack not only our LGBT affiliate, but also one of the biggest media. Um, media uh, place you know in in pink news to attack both of them and no action happened to her apart from a soft apology that's borderline disgraceful and um honestly uh what you know labor should always be proudly LG, uh proudly an ally of, of it but it's just not the case talking to people who are trans because and they and it's it's so bad it's so disgraceful trans people generally feel unsafe within the party and that should never happen nobody should nobody should feel unsafe because of, of the fact that they're trans or, or, or on that part and he Keir has got to get some balls and, and deal with it he's gonna mm. he's gonna he's gonna deal with it one way or another because it, it, it yeah i think it will define him in the future what are your thoughts on transphobia within the Labour Party and how Keir Starmer has dealt with it or, or not dealt with it? So, like, obviously, just before I say anything, you know, as a straight, cisgendered woman, I don't want to, um, you know, kind of speak over any voices from the trans community. And I think we need, like, so much more, um, you know, kind of spotlight given to their voices and their perspectives. Um, but, you know, this is this is the one area where I've been the most disappointed with Labour. It's it's the whole thing again where Labour is so afraid of getting embroiled in any kind of culture war, they don't take any stand on it. But we really, really need to be doing, you know, trans women are women, trans men are men. If you don't like that or you don't accept that, then, you know, you shouldn't have a place in the Labour Party. The fact that Rosie Duffield still has the whip, is chair of the Women's PLP and is able to make comments like this, it's embarrassing you know, she's got a huge following now, which I think is part of Labour's hesitance again to kind of engage with that culture war. But, you know, if if we can't stand up for, you know, for groups that are being targeted, then 
you know, we're not the Labour Party because that's what we're, that's what we're supposed to be doing, you know. I've seen some some great councillors and some MPs speak out in favour of trans rights, but until we remove the whip from Duffield, we can't say that we're true allies of that community at all. It's horrible seeing people on Twitter, you know, leaving the party because we just, we don't stand up for them anymore. We're not a safe space for them. You know, like mm. I mentioned before, Labour is supposed to be and needs to be a moral crusade. And this is a huge part of it. Like, we don't stand for anything if we don't stand up for these things. George, what are your thoughts on this? I really try to find a way to word this properly. And I I can't. So apologies if this is messy. Um, as, a, as everyone else has noted around the table, I think I'm probably the last person on earth who someone should go to for a view on how Labour has handled transphobia since... Uh, let's face it, I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community and, um, you know, no one needs another uh, straight dude talking over them. So instead of just talking about whether I think kids handle it well or not, which is not my place to say, I think what be, would be right for me to say is what is the political atmosphere for trans people? Like, what, where do they, you know, naturally feel home politically? And the answer is nowhere. Every political party in the UK is dominated by people who will scrutinise them to unbelievable lengths and gaslight them, and essentially will make sure they do not have a safe place in it. They cannot go to any party and expect this. They are one of the most vulnerable groups in the entire society. And what we see constantly is them turned into a folk devil. They are constantly paraded in the media by various tabloid magazines, cough, cough, Daily Mail, and worse still, um, constantly antagonised by politicians within our own ranks, Rosie Duffield, who then go and play the victim as if they're being attacked just for holding these bigoted views. I can't express this anymore, how angry this makes me, because my politics, my entire thing really kicked off when I decided that I just couldn't stomach anymore what was happening with anti-Semitism. And like everyone else in the panel, I give Keir, you know, um, congratulations on actually dealing with the issue in a manner which Jewish people feel is effectively done. But the lack of action on this and the fact that during the leadership contest, we had two candidates who were women and were comfortable saying, you know, I think um, the Labour campaign for trans rights is something that I've signed. Keir did not comment on it. Keir remained silent. And there is a massive void in the party where his stance should be. It's not the fact that he has decided he is anti-trans or that he is pro-trans. He has simply decided he does not want to partake in it, which is the worst thing you can do, in my opinion. It's cowardice in its form. And I would say that I believe Rosie Duffield should be kicked out of the PLP. I just want to, uh, for a moment, ask the question, why do we think that this particular culture relating to transphobia has arisen in the Labour Party? What has caused it? To take root, as I think we've all uh, said, in, in, in a party that should, by its very definition, stand up for trans people, members of the, the LGBTQ community. Lauren, what do you think? Uh, to be honest, I, I'd say it's probably similar to anti-Semitism, uh, failure to call it out and deal with it at an early stage, allowing it to kind of gain... A foot in the door, I suppose, uh, of people that are happy to make excuses for it because it comes from their faction or their friends. That's kind of what was raised earlier. Same with anti-Semitism. Um, people were happy to sweep it aside because it was actually convenient for them to do so. And we know Labour is a party with massive issues of factionalism. There's a lot of double standards of behaviour. Um, you know, it shouldn't be the case that we should have people running for the NEC 
with dodgy records on transphobia. So um, I think that's part of the issue. There's not been enough done to challenge it early on, which kind of legitimises it in the eyes of people that hold those views already. Mm. Amy, what are your thoughts? Why do you think that transphobia has arisen in the Labour Party? I think, you know, in, I think what needed to happen is when it first kind of reared its ugly head is we stamp it out straight away and we make clear that it has no place in this party at all. Because that hasn't happened, because Rosie Duffield is able to just get away with doing it day after day after day and see no repercussions at all, it's kind of inevitable that it's grown in kind of support within the Labour Party. You know, if unless we do something about it, it is going to be there. Unfortunately, so I think... You know, I don't want to say it's just, it's not. I was going to say transphobia is natural. It's not at all. It's only natural if you are incredibly intolerant. But what I mean is, unless we kind of take an active stance against it and we make clear that you know we are the party for for people who respect other people, you know, then you know we're going to have this problem. So I think. I think it's basically just how we dealt with it in the first place. You know, if if we'd been strong on it, it wouldn't be there. Armin, what are your thoughts? Why do you think uh, it's arisen in the Labour Party? Let's see. I think it's, it's really, once again, really difficult for me, straight cis uh, and, and, and a man, for, for, for me to discuss it. But I think it's, uh, it's yeah, uh, it's been going a lot longer than, than Keir Starmer, and we should, always, we should, of course, address that. But um, I think in terms of, of transphobia, um, because I think there's there's this sort of thing that um, that there's this sort of middle class feminism, and that's a little bit of a bad way of saying it. But there's this sort of middle class feminism that that seems to be so transphobic and so vile that 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 minority has become so so loud and even louder within the Labour Party that it might seem that they're the majority when there's not. I mean, constant polling shows that a majority of people believe trans rights are, 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 are human rights and that, and a majority, and a lot of, and a plurality certainly supports uh, reform of the GRA to make, um, to make it easier for, for trans people. Uh, but the fact is, and it's, it, it's two things. It is that cultural war thing. Keir Starmer doesn't want to be dragged into uh, a cultural war, but it, it becomes so bad to a point where he doesn't want to stand up for minority rights and that includes transphobia because he thinks that they'll be drawn into a cultural war um uh the second one is sort of that loud minority who you know might you know who 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 say oh yeah we're proper labor who are probably like labor members that that loud minority and that is from across the party from across all factions and i think that's another thing the fact that it's across all factions is not specific to one bit it's it means it's difficult for all parts of the party to, to crack down because say Keir Starmer removes the whip from from Rosie Duffield, I can guarantee you there'll be certain parts of the Labour right who's saying, oh, that, that's a little bit too strong. And they'll privately call for Keir Starmer to reconsider uh, what he's done. Um, uh, you know, but, you know, say, say for instance, during the Labour NEC, you saw the left firmly defending Laura Pitcook and uh, and I think it was Anne Henderson for their transphobia. 
uh, just completely ignoring it. So this is something that all sides of the party had to be reckoned with. But like I said, the buck stops with Keir Starmer. George, what are your thoughts? Why do you think transphobia has arisen in the Labour Party? Again, this is a very difficult thing, so apologies if I stop and start my sentences. Um, I think transphobia, as everyone's correctly identified, has it's kind of cropped out across all of the Labour Party going back decades. And when uh, Armin talked about um, a certain kind of feminism, I do broadly agree and find that, you know, I do resonate with that tone from what I understand. Um, I think part of the reason equally why it's popped out is for, for the very reason that every single answer on this section, uh, me and Armin have given the caveat of, you know, we're men, so really we shouldn't be talking about this. It's that it's discrimination against a minority who um, essentially, unlike um, other forms of discrimination, for instance, anti-Semitism, everyone who rightfully has got a socially conscious mind can speak out against. With transphobia, it's a completely different kettle of fish in that um, if you speak out against it, you're derived for not being in a place to talk about it. And as, you know, I like, I like to think that humans are much more cowardly than we let on, you know. Um, where There's a lot of people out there who broadly would agree that transphobia is a bad thing. However, they don't want the stigma of coming out and denouncing it. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make them terrible human beings. It's just the state of play. And as everyone's identified, Keir Starmer doesn't want to come out and talk about it because he's scared it will alienate the precious Red Wall voters or even that culture war. But what I would say is that in all of this, there is an example we should be looking to across in America, which is Joe Biden, because Biden is someone who, you know, in this context, should be talking about it. He's a straight white dude who's really old. And he's passing legislation right now and overturning stuff like the ban on, like, you know, LGBTQ military service, banning trans, mm. which banned trans people from, you know, partaking in society at large. He has done that relatively within the first term of, sorry, the first month of his first term. So I think there are examples that we need to look across in how we deal with this and how we um, actually start to make it so that, you know, trans people are accepted in society and they're not this kind of excluded and castigated minority, which is, sadly they are. And I uh, can only end this by just expressing my utter sympathy with the trans community. Mm. I mean, I completely uh, agree with what you've said, uh, George, and I agree with what everyone said and similarly as a, um, a cis straight male, it's perhaps not my place to say it, but it is something that, you know, I have seen and I condemn utterly because it is just a, another form of vitriolic hatred that we don't just not need in the Labour Party, but in society in general. I'd like to turn now um, to Black Lives Matter and Keir Starmer's engagement with that, or uh, as I think quite a few people would argue, lack of engagement, his comment referring to it as a moment angered a great deal of people and understandably so. Armin, what do you think about the way that Keir Starmer has engaged or perhaps not engaged with Black Lives Matter? Jesus Christ, where do you want to start? Um, I really, one thing that I really didn't like, uh, the one thing that I really had, I thought was a missed opportunity was that, and I'm sure if I'll find it, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll think I'll find it, but if I had a um, if I had a barometer of like people who did voted for Keir, um, Keir Starmer during the leadership election, 
I, I really wish I had the polling because uh, because from what I indicate and from what I saw, a lot of black people voted for Keir Starmer for leader. Uh, a lot of black members. Um, one included my mum, who I said I mentioned before, who is a member who voted for Keir Starmer. Um, and like I said, my dad who wanted Keir Starmer for leader, but also you had the high profile endorsements, people like Doreen Lawrence, David Lammy, who was one of the first faces on BBC News as soon as the result was announced. Um, BAME Labour, the, the, the nine people who are in BAME Labour endorsed Keir Starmer as an official affiliate. Um, you know, and I think there was this general feeling, because of course, Keir Starmer also represents a place where there is a lot of black members that, that yeah, I think quite a few people. It is actually quite, to that note, it is actually quite amazing, quite astounding how much bad faith he's burnt down. Um, generally, there is this apathy, because I think whether you like or hate Jeremy Corbyn, I joined the Labour Party because of Jeremy Corbyn, and I know a lot of black people joined, joined the Labour Party because of what Jeremy Corbyn, because when he became leader of the party, the first thing he did was attend a, a pro-refugee march. After those controls on immigration mugs, that seemed different. And if, for the first time, it seemed that the Labour Party was accessible to them uh, as, uh, as a party and as a group. And of course, things happen. Factionalism has also contributed to this. But my God, the, the faith that Keir Summer had has just been badly burnt. And they won't go out and vote, Tory. I don't think that's the case, but they will just won't go out and vote. And um, I've always, um, uh, and, and the, the phrase that I keep saying that me and a friend of mine, Jermaine Jackman, keeps saying is that, yes, we should always con concentrate on the red wall, but we should never forget that it's been built on black and brown bricks. And there is this feeling that our part, that this is gonna be taken, that our vote will be taken for granted. And I'll give you a story and, for example, the the Black Lives Matter thing, the most passionate when I saw Keir Starmer, that infamous BBC Breakfast interview where he said that defunding the police was a nonsense and Black Lives Matter was a moment. My brother showed me that video, even though I watched it hundreds of times before because I just I was just so disappointed. My brother then showed it to me, who's not really involved in politics. And then he he said something that stuck with me and said, in four years, you've got to tell me to vote for that man. And then I'll just say why. And I think that's that's the thing I'm I'm scared about because I think for a lot of people, they seem that their vote, their activism, their voice has been taken for granted. Uh, and, and it's the same with transphobia in the fact that Keir Starmer, okay, it's not like, it's not like he's not talking about it like Keir Starmer, he has to talk about it because um, so many people has forced him to from all wings of the party. Um, but there's also the fact that every time he feels he feels uncomfortable about it. He just throws on Jory Lawrence or he just throws on David Lammy and they're great people uh, or Marshall de Cordova. But you're the leader. You've got to take some things and actually go at it. And there's also the thing about internal party culture. How many black people are in his lotto? Not a lot, maybe even zero. I don't even know the number. And he's refused to, he refused to uh, go in deeper with, with that. Um, I think the cultural cause is severely uh, anti-black uh, within the Labour Party. That needs to be dealt with very, very quickly. Um, and of course, the leaked report will be mentioned. For me, I'm very glad the leaked report was was out, but it didn't need a leaked report to know the culture. I think it, that leaked report finally proved to to a lot of people, to white people 
actually that this is a problem within the party that there's a huge anti-black problem within the party because it was before the lead report it was hearsay and it was this and that and the other now it is there it is in writing and it is something that needs to be dealt with and um the forward inquiry is going to happen and i pray to god it gets released even in a redacted form because that is for the first time uh, a real look into anti-black racism within the party listen one of my favorite speeches of all time, and I'll, if you know me, you know, you know I say this a lot, is that Bernie Grant speech in, in I think the 1980s or the 1970s in Blackpool, when he was found in the black sections alongside Diane Abbott and Paul Boating. And he went out and said, well, the reason why I'm doing this, the reason why I'm putting this is because blacks are not a priority in the Labour Party and the trade union movement. And he, I really recommend you watch that speech. It is an amazing, amazing, amazing speech. And I constantly look at that speech because I would go, what has changed? There has to be huge structural change within the Labour Party and how it deals with it and how it deals with, with black people. Because every time we go out and passionately vote Labour, we knock on the doors and we, we become active. And, and, I, and I said this before, I'll say this again, it does feel like that is taken for granted for so long. And... There will be a case, and I think you saw this in 2015 to a little extent, that a lot of people, people of colour, didn't really turn out to vote for Ed Miliband. And I think that's, that, that, that hurt him a lot. In 2024, there might be a case where people just won't turn out to vote for, 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 for Labour in those communities. And so forget about the Red Wall. You know, though we had to fight for places like Islington. And it, that won't happen. But the, but the fact of the matter is... I. The Labour Party, it's, it's, it can be a fight for good, but for so long it's just been not the case. And, and that needs to change sooner rather than later. Lauren, what are your thoughts on this? How do you think uh, Keir Starmer has engaged or not engaged with Black Lives Matter? I mean, just kind of as, as my comments on transphobia, I'm cisgendered. Um, I am obviously white, so I don't feel the assessment is mine to make um, necessarily. And I think, Armin, you spoke brilliantly about this. And I think, you know, we should all be listening to what you said. Um, so I'm going to hold off giving an assessment on how well he's handled it. But I think the overarching point is that white people need to do more to educate themselves rather than demanding people spoon feed them on how to be an ally. And I think Starmer's little 30 minute was 30 minute diversity training or unconscious bias 40 minutes oh the 10 minutes makes the difference Uh, (laughs) it was a bloody insult actually i think and i it it reduced an incredibly serious issue in thing almost flippant it's not a tick box activity that you cross off your list and then get on with your day it's you know it's a a constant process of unpicking the biases and the prejudices that you have um obviously you know calling black lives matter movement a moment was horrific <laughs> and you know again just to echo what's already been said there is a lot to be said about the unresolved issues in the party with racism against black mps as shown in the leaked report but again something we already knew we know that diana Abbott got the most abuse out of any mp on social media um, and we must never take black votes for granted our members didn't elect one of the brilliant black men who stood for the nec um, there was a cross-factional choice there you could have made wherever you sat in the party and we didn't so you know i think the problems are there for all to see george what do you think 
I will be extremely brief because to echo Lauren, I think I'm the last person in the world to give Keir Starmer assessment on how he's performed on this. All, all I will say is that um, we, there's been this thing where during the Black Lives Matter summer, as some call it, there was a lot of people going out asking how you can be a better ally or how to just basically, you know, avoid pitfalls and be a better ally to the black community. And in my head, I was thinking the whole time, how are you struggling with this a little bit? <laughs> it's just about listening and actually hearing what they say and what they want. And I think everyone who's listening to this podcast should just listen to Eamon, basically. <laughs> I think he's put it so succinctly and referencing the Bernie Grant speech, which I have listened to, and it's just powerful. So that's all I really have to say. Just listen. And if you don't think you understand it, go back and listen again, because they're saying it loud and clear. Mm. Amy, what do you think? So, yeah, I just want to basically echo what George and Lorna said. You know, as a white woman, I will never kind of speak over the voices, um, you know, from that community. And I think, you know, um, again, you know, Armin spoke really, really well on this. Um, I guess all I'd really say is that, again, it's just that kind of... um, it's, it's the fear that Labour has of getting dragged into a culture war over Black Lives Matter again. If, if it means that our fear of being dragged into a culture war means that we're not standing up for ethnic minorities, then I think we've got a serious problem with our priorities as a party and what we think we should be standing up for. I, th- I think just to add to that, I mean, again, I'm a white man, so this isn't something... I've, really uh, comfortable uh, speaking on as such but I think Armin what you said was incredibly uh, powerful and I, I agree and I think I can speak for everyone else in saying that anti-black racism and any kind of racism in the Labour Party is something that is just abhorrent and we all have to do um, better in listening to uh, voices that feel marginalised and promoting them and changing the culture that exists within the Labour Party. I'd now like to move on to something that, in fact, is is linked somewhat to what Amy said, and it's Flaggate. It's the uh, promotion of uh, patriotism and the the use of the uh, Union Jack flag in the Labour Party. Do we think that this is something that is... Uh, appropriate? Do we think that this is something that has been utilised well uh, by Keir Starmer? George, if you could start. Well, this is the conversation, isn't it? Just about like, you know, patriotic uh, fervour and uh, that whole rhetoric. I think Flaggate is a distraction and a bloody stupid one. Mm. I I think the obsession which the media's gone into this with, I think the way Tories are playing into it, it's just... It drains me, honestly, the discourse around this. It, it, it sucks the life out of me because there's so much more important things to be talking about. Um, because essentially this is a conversation about do you love your country? And to me, that doesn't mean do I accept the British state for everything it's ever done? Of course I don't. Absolutely don't. Until about 1950, I would have been against a racist state like it was. In fact, it still pretty much is, isn't it, when you look in some of the more institutional problems? But I digress, because that's a whole other podcast. Um, 
Patriotism is not about accepting that and trying to just get rid of things you don't like about it, like the censorship of history that we're seeing inside the schools. The, the Tory MP recommending that they get rid of the National Trust report into um, the um, stately homes they have, which were owned by and built using the money from the slave trade. That's just censorship. Well, patriotism is, is not that. Patriotism is loving the community you're in. It's about caring about the people you're around. That's what patriotism is. It's why, it's why the most patriotic thing you can do in the world is pay your taxes and make sure that society is well-funded, that the NHS doesn't go bankrupt and doesn't have to be privatised. That's what it is. And I, I, I think the fact we've not been making that case has just annoyed me to no end because we bought into this stupid narrative that in order to be a patriotic British person, you have to essentially never criticise anything Britain's ever done because mm. it plays into the Johnson playbook of how to do politics and how to whip people up and divide them. I, I think that Keir Starmer needs to move past it. I think we need to just completely disengage from flag gates. And I think we just need to focus on actually giving our own definition of patriotism, which Rebecca Bailey did, to give her credit, try to do in January, but then it kind of derailed um, quite a bit throughout the whole course for leadership contest. And that's my rant on that over. <laughs> Armin, what are your thoughts? Can get a merciful crap, to be honest. Uh... Um, flag, it's kind of funny because uh, it feels like that's uh, first of all, I, I think that was I think the Labour Party has sort of retracted from that, basically saying, Oh, um, that was a thing from from um, uh, that was a thing from like a marketing company that that recommended this. Well, if that was their recommendation, I would have asked for my money back. Um, um, on on Flatgate, yeah, I couldn't get a of crap. I can guarantee you there's probably a speech by Corbyn where he's got the, the British flag, the difference with between Jeremy Corbyn and Keir Starmer. He, uh, I think Jeremy Corbyn will passionately maybe talk about policies that will help help things. Keir Starmer, of course, he's stuck with COVID, but um, I think if, if Keir Starmer is just going to parrot the state without actively trying to change it that's when it comes a concern and of course that flag gate is just another part of this damn culture war where where you know people will be like oh anti-british and it's part of that statues cultural thing and what you get is stuff like the police and crime tool which labor voted against to their to their credit um actually i won't give them credit for reasons we'll discuss later um um but you know uh um it, 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 it hampers on them. And the reason why I get nervous when people talk about flags and patriotism, because when that happens, the empire is not too far behind. And of course, we all know the record of the British empire. Um, um, so, so I think, I think we, we do have to be, we do have to be uh, careful, but if, if, if Keir Starmer wants to actually do stuff surrounding the British people, British families and stuff like that, actually go out and promote policies that will, will do so. And I think he, he will try. Um, but uh, just saying, I think trying to hide behind a flag will just, it's playing to the Tories tune and you can never, I've never seen somebody play to the Tories tune and win in the end. Lauren, what are your thoughts on... Uh... The use of flags, flag gate, the um, use of patriotism in the Labour Party by Keir Starmer. What are your thoughts? Um, 
I think, as George was saying about patriotism, you know, patriotism is an abstract concept. It's up to us how we flesh it out. If we flesh it out with, um, you know, inclusivity at the heart of it and not excluding people based on where they're from, um, you know, great, cool. Uh, but, you know, suggesting that a flag is going to be enough to win back the red wall i'm now allowed to say this because i've lived in stoke since last thursday so <laughs> i am qualified to talk about this <laughs> it may be true that you know in the red wall older generations because we know that red wall seats are slightly older on average it may be true that older people are more supportive of flag waving i don't know i'm not a political scientist i've done reams of research on this but it is absolutely reductive and it shows kind of a, a real lack of understanding to people in the red wall if we think years of neglect which our own party is complicit in by the way because of blair basically letting places like teesside go to ruin a token flag in the background might stop people throwing the corbyn um attack line at us because he hated the country but it's really it's just piecemeal and it really shouldn't be the basis for any kind of form of future strategy but just to speak a little bit sorry i'm going to ramble a little bit um you know how the red wall always gets this idea that it's super nationalist and it's, you know, it's really conservative. I've seen far more conservatism when I lived in Devon in the Southwest and that never really gets mentioned. Um, but people in the Red Wall have the same issues as everyone else. They've been living in Tory Britain for the last 11 years. They've suffered more probably than places in the South because governments of all colours have screwed them over. Uh, it's going to take a lot more than waving a flag to rebuild the trust that has been lost there because, you know, generations of Labour people in 2019 held their nose and voted Tory. People walked into the ballot box and were apologising to their dead fathers who were minors for voting Tory. You know, it wasn't an easy decision, but we've got to do something more than just wave a flag and hope that it fixes things because it won't. Amy, what are your thoughts on this? I, I agree with what um, a lot of everyone has said, really. Um it's it's just a really annoying kind of distraction i think from any substantive issues um you know as, as amusing as I, I find some of the discourse surrounding it it's it's not it doesn't you know bother me personally i think that the main problem with this is that we've allowed the right to frame the debate around patriotism for decades you know a, a progressive patriotism is possible and it's exactly what we should be pushing for but you know because we've kind of stepped back and just allowed them to fill the gap that we've left and completely dominate patriotism and essentially define it you know it, it doesn't have to mean anti-immigration at all it's about pride you know being proud of your community being proud of where you're from it, it doesn't have to link to the british empire or anti-immigration at all but we've allowed the right to kind of frame it in that way to make it this like the hostile toxic kind of thing so often and i think a big part of what labor should be doing is you know creating this notion of a, a progressive patriotism that's inclusive of everyone in the communities that people live in you know i think it in that you know putting a flag up behind you when you're speaking is not progressive patriotism you know we need to be redefining what patriotism actually is you know we we don't want to make you know certain groups feel uncomfortable when we start to discuss patriotism it's i think it, it does obviously go a lot deeper than flags and flags are just kind of like the surface of this whole issue but i do think we need to kind of reframe the debate around patriotism and sorry if i might yeah, no, of course. Slot in. Uh, I, I like that 
the idea of inclusivity and and campaigning for like a, a something different from what the talk from what the Tories want. If Keir Starmer wants to talk to someone who's done that successfully and is going to help him successfully, he only needs to go down to City Hall and talk to Sadiq Khan. And uh, uh, as a Londoner, um, Sadiq Khan on the day of Brexit uh, started the, the London is Open campaign, um, which said, and uh, I, I love that video, he put it all over the underground uh, when I was going to university and going to work. He's put it all over it, saying that London is loud, it's proud, it's sport, it's it's everything, and it it, it really made me proud to be a Londoner. I, I love I, lo- I love the city, and and it hasn't hurt him because, of course, you know London is different from the rest of the country, of course, but you know being very very proud and abashed of what is London and setting the tone. So D Khan's now going to win, definitely he's going to win London. He's probably going to win fifty percent, and that's because the D Khan set wasn't afraid to set the tone for what he believes London is um if I think sure like there is this idea of progressive patriotism but Keir Starmer has he has to be different he has to set the tone for something different uh if he tries to parrot the Tory line he will lose and he will lose very badly because the Tories will rip him to shreds We're going to take a short break now to listen to a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast April episode with Dahlia Gabrielle. When we come back, we will be going over policing and drugs policy relating to the Labour Party under Keir Starmer and where the Labour Party will go forward under his leadership, looking at the May elections and elections in the near future, i.e. the 2024 general election. We'll be back very soon. April is just around the corner, and that means the new edition of the Politics of Sound podcast. That's the show on which politicians and other political figures reveal their all-time three favourite albums. My visitor to the record shop this month is Dahlia Gabriel, an author and political commentator who, along with her colleagues from Navara Media, is rapidly becoming established as one of the most original voices in the new wave of writers and thinkers on the left. Now I look back, I don't understand how I did this, but I was like a bull in a china shop, like I was having none of it. So that's the Politics of Sound podcast, out on the 1st of April on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. just want to um, go from Armin's point about uh, setting the tone and go on to something uh, that I know Lauren has written uh, quite a bit about, which is uh, policing uh, and criminology. And I, I just want to um, think about and ask you all how you feel uh, policing, uh, drug policy uh, and things related to criminal justice have been dealt with by Keir Starmer as leader of the Labour Party. Lauren, if you could start. So I will take it in sort of bits. I'll start with drug policy um, because I think it's, you know, it's an easier uh, segue in. Mm. Um, It's all I ever go on about, as I'm sure most of you know. Like, literally, I don't (laughs) stop. (laughs) To be honest with you, I actually think it's changed that much um, purely because under Corbyn, it was never really on the agenda. I know he supported medical decriminalisation um, and he opposed it for recreational purposes, which I, which somewhat surprised me, I have to say. Um, 
And obviously, I would love to see full decriminalisation of cannabis at the very least. Starmer is pretty non-committal on this. I think during the leadership election, he seemed a little bit more open about it. But now he's obviously been elected. He's trying to be sort of the prime minister in waiting. But I think he's going to run into real trouble because I think public opinion on cannabis decriminalisation is actually softening. So I think he might find himself caught out. Um as a Labour Party, we should be pragmatic about this and we need to be looking at what works. And if you, again, if you know me at all, you'll know that evidence-based policy is all I ever go on about, literally ever. Um, you know, not just from an economic perspective, but from a human perspective, it is the right thing to do. Um, and he was asked about safe consumption rooms, which if you don't know, it's kind of where you go in. If you're, let's say you are addicted to heroin, you can go in and you can access um, supplies and supervision and support. And it's working really well in Scotland. Paul Sweeney um, actually spoke at Open Labour Conference the weekend. Just a little plug for Open Labour there, because um, I think most of us here are. Um, and he, yeah, he spoke fantastically about it over the weekend. Um, you know, Labour needs to come out to bat for public health approaches to drugs. And we need to support decriminalisation. We need to look at where it works. Because if we don't, the really ridiculous war on drugs is going to carry on for decades. And we know it hurts marginalised groups um, along every line class, race. Um, so, you know, it makes no sense. I recently co-founded the Labour Coalition for Justice Reform as well. Um, and we are going to lobby the party on drug policy reform. Just, I'll just sneak in a little bit extra about policing because I don't want to ramble on too much. But I just, I, th I just want to speak to the fact that the fact that Labour even considered abstaining on this. Um, of course, people will deny it now and say it never happened, but I believe that it did. The fact that we even considered abstaining on this is disgusting. Um, if we don't rise to the challenge and frame justice policy on our own terms, we are doomed to have these conversations on Tory turf time and time again, and we will not win. Just like the policing bill that went through, um, you know, it, this isn't going to be the last draconian justice policy that gets floated at us with Priti Patel as Home Secretary. We've heard her say that you know, in the past, she supports the death penalty. We've heard rumours the death penalty is being looked at. We need to be at the forefront of this. And I don't think it's possible with Nick Thomas-Simmons at the helm. Mm. Amon, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know um, earlier in the podcast, you mentioned uh, that you wanted to uh, discuss the, the bill that recently went through that Lauren just mentioned. What are your thoughts on how Keir Starmer has handled these particular issues? Lauren's right, by the way, and I'll echo Lauren's words on 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 the abstention. Labour were fully intent to abstain, and they were even briefed on Friday that they were going to abstain on the second reading to vote against on the third because they wanted to get it through committee, even though it was just an absolute terrible bill, and you cannot amend that bill into anything better. Um, in terms of listen, you know, we we want to say things about the Labour Party. The Labour Party has always been authoritarian. And, and that's one of the biggest things about the Labour Party. No matter who's leading it, no matter what they've done, is always authoritarian. It's always on the same way. Because the Labour Party's been just so involved with the state of the British, uh, British state. And I, I don't think there's been a time where Labour's actually been on the side of, of, of actual social movements and actual huge social movements. They were against the general strikes, I think, in the 1920s. They were against the miners' strike. Now there's a little bit of revisionism, but Kinnock was very much against the miners' strike. He said it was a bit too much. The junior doctor strike we were against. Um, Black Lives Matter we weren't, of course, because, but then 
when it comes and now with this and the reason why this bill has been delayed now it is going to be delayed and the reason why there's so much public opposition to this bill sadly it wasn't the labor party it was because i think for a lot of people and i think this is one thing that Keir Starmer's leadership has done a lot of people realize that change cannot be done through electoral politics or party getting involved in a political party a huge shout out to reclaim these streets and huge and an even bigger shout out to sisters uncut for going out and protests against the bill uh, and going out and protest uh, against police brutality uh, and, and, and against the, the police. And I'll refer this to Bristol because once again, you saw the Labour Party go against it. They said it, it, um, it was violent, uh, even though the police, as far as I said, was, was the aggregators. And I think Nadia Whittam's comments on it, you should read it, were very, very good. We, we the fact is, um, because the Labour Party, in a way, because the Labour Party wants to be a party of government, they will always back the state. And this is why I said that there was a huge misopportunity during the leadership election at the very beginning when it comes to Keir Starmer. We didn't challenge him on his role as a DPP enough and what he did in terms of policing because he would tell that there was this bit in his leadership elections, there was when he was a human rights lawyer, you know, campaigning for trade unions, campaigning to a mixed strike. There was this massive silence when he was DPP, except for a couple of things. I think uh, pedophile, I think pedophiles was one of them, and uh, a couple of other things, and uh, uh, you know, rape convictions and, and and women's safety. And then suddenly he was an MP. What happened in those things when he was DPP? Um, um, of course, the big one was, of course, 24-hour courts uh, during the London riots, where he went in hard on people and gave them uh, and gave them really disproportionate sentencing uh, in terms in response to the riots. And, and that's always been the thing, and that's something I've always been uncomfortable with within the Labour Party is that we will always act in an authoritarian way, and there needs to be a change in that thought because that is parroting to the Tories' tone. It is so easy currently to just that authoritarian and say you know yeah more police on the streets is not going to help one and it particularly hurts minorities more than anyone mm. and i think there needs to be a huge change and i and i it's so bad it's so big that authoritarian strain that i don't think organizing with even though lauren is great and i think he's really good and lobbying them i think um the work that sisters uncut and reclaim the streets have done has has forced Will, will will be a lot bigger and uh i i, I feel like I, i'm so I'm sorry i feel like i've been too harsh on lauren but but um that's cool <laughs> but um i think you know uh that, that there needs there is always a part of social movements in our political system and that's why that bill is so concerning um, because of the, of the fact that it is. And so that's why it was particularly concerning because I wouldn't give Labour credit because they were fully intent to abstain. And I, and I don't think if, if it was the case in Lambeth, if it was for the police brutality, the sheer police brutality uh, in London um, over that weekend, Labour would, would have abstained. Um, but because of that happened and because there was intense pressure on that bill, Labour decided to vote. George, what do you think on this? How do you think... Kistama has handled these particular issues. Well, I just want to thank you for putting me after um, Armin and Lauren, who've been excellent on this, meaning that they've completely blown anything I had to say out of the water with it. So thanks, guys. Um, I mean, I will. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, I 
therefore I'm mostly just going to say that I don't think I've got anything original to add to this just beyond the fact that I broadly agree with Eamon um, just, just because as he's pointed out Labour's never really had this kind of libertarian social streak in it where it's always just been a party of authoritarians like there's no particular tradition in the party which has backed mass movements and we really do see this, don't we, in, in like um, the kind of social issues of the day. And recently at Open Labour Conference, just like plug towards it again, um, we saw this with um, conversations, um, I believe, surrounding uh, sex work, because that's something which I'm actually quite passionate about, because one of my university lecturers and one of my best friends is deeply involved in works around the um, space in Leeds, um, which accommodates for sex work. And... I can't see Keir Starmer ever even considering touching that issue with a barge pole because I really get the impression that Keir, when it comes to policing, has not moved on from 1994 with the kind of Blair rhetoric. And even that wasn't exactly the most original thing. It's we, We've been playing to the Tories' tune since like the beginning of time on like Law and Order, and I think we just will continue to, and that's all I've really got to say. Amy, what are your thoughts on this? So basically, I think, you know, kind of everything that everyone said so far has been like really, really kind of astute and kind of getting right to the roots of the problems. I think um, I will kind of agree. I don't think much has changed. It's been contradictory at times um, with regards to the legalization of cannabis. I, you know, I, I think it, it is a divisive issue, but I think polling the general public does show that it's more in favour of legalisation and I think in that particular interview where he you know said that he was against it I think personally he shouldn't have answered that question you know it was it was supposed to be about the pandemic he should have just said you know we're not we're not going to be focusing on that right now and then just you know if, if he didn't agree with it you know just kind of left it to another time I think again and I mean feel free to slap me if I say it again but we've been pulled into culture wars about, you know, statues. And it's, it's just, it's a mess, you know, like we need to be a lot stronger on this issue um, on police reform and protesting. There's a lot of emotions and debates around police reform, but it, I mean, it's so clear that, that, you know, we do need substantive reform. That is clear. And it's disappointing that we've been quite slow to respond to these things. And I mean, the fact that we were going to abstain on that bill is honestly appalling. I'd now like to um, move on uh, to discussing the future, to having a, a quick think about the future. We've discussed Keir Starmer's first year uh, in great depth. Um, what do we think the future coming into the uh, local elections, uh, the uh, devolved elections that we're going to be seeing this year in the Hartlepool by-election and going forward to the next general election? What do we expect to see from Keir Starmer and what would we like to see from Keir Starmer? Lauren, if you could start. A crumb of personality, maybe some policy. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, really not feeling good about May elections. Not This is no indication on the local candidates and the people standing. Um, I think it's a case of the local suffering at the expense of the overarching national picture. Um, it's very difficult, even when it's not something that national politics can have an influence on. If it's a council seat, we we know that unless you're in a pretty strong Labour area, 
Um, it can be affected so much by what's going on nationally. So I think Andy Burnham is fine. I think he's played an absolute blinder. I think he's actually been more on opposition than Keir Starmer has. And I think he's held in quite good regards by people in Manchester. So I think he'll be fine. And obviously they vote Labour anyway, really. Um, I don't think we'll win Hartlepool, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, I just, I've just got a feeling and I, I'm not pleased with the candidate. I think it's a mistake to put an ardent Remainer in a heavily leave voting seat, especially one that's mired in controversy with his tweet about MILFs, but I won't go into that in any more depth. And I've just said MILF on a podcast. This feels wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, so in terms of the elections that are coming up, mixed bag, but I don't think, I'm not expecting anything big really from us. Um, you know, whatever, vaccine bounce, what can you do? In terms of, you know, Am I right to talk about leadership in the future as well? Or did you just... Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, what I hmm. want to see from Starmer's leadership properly, though, is to stop... It's all gone to shit. The last bit. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Let it's me not just, a problem. Me, <laughs> I've forgotten how to do words. Um, okay. Yeah, so I would, I'd like to see him stop abstaining. I'd like to see him sack Rosie Duffield. Um, get a handle on liberation issues been off the focus groups and stop being led by public opinion and actually start setting the agenda himself. Um, listen to a sort of plurality of voices on things like justice policy, rather than every time he needs an opinion from an expert, run to the police or run to a solicitor, talk to academics, talk to people that are critical, like criminologists. We are critical, very critical. Um, and I'd like to see him craft a vision for the country post COVID. I'd like to see what Starmerism is. What is it? What does that mean? Um, and I will repeat this one because it's important. Sack Rosie Duffield. George, what do you think? Well, uh, let's take that part. So what I'd want to see from Starmer is a alternative vision for the country, as Lauren said, because I don't see it at the minute. And frankly, if I don't see it in the next four years, we're going to lose quite badly. Um, because this is the issue with Keir. Uh, most polls tend to have him down as like, look, he seems like he's in touch. He just doesn't really seem to know what he stands for. And I want Keir to just cast that aside by clearly showing what he does stand for. I don't care if it's controversial. I don't care if I'm not going to be 100% on board with it. Just show it. Stop hiding it and stop poll chasing. Um, in terms of the local elections, I'm quite swept up in efforts for that. Um, by nature of my second job, so um, I'm quite invested in it and I'm, like, I'm getting sleepless nights over it. I'm not going to lie because part of me is really worried about it and part of me is thinking I've been worried about every election I've ever campaigned with Labour under and we've always done a little bit better than I feared. So I think May is going to be kind of a day of reckoning for the Starmer leadership, kind of the first chance to see if his style be vindicated. Um, I don't think we're going to sweep across the board and win every single seat we're up for you know, election in. But I, do, I think we're going to do better than some of the, the dystopian predictions we're getting from the Twitterati. Um, I don't, I, and also to be contrary to Lauren, I think we'll win Hartlepool. I, I think that what's happening with Hartlepool is that every single party under the sun is standing. I mean, there's so many weird fringe candidates that I think they're just going to suck the dissident votes into each other and cancel it out. And I think we'll win on a reduced majority. I don't think that should be a ringing endorsement for Paul Williamson, who... I've stated I personally think his views on Saudi Arabia are disgusting. But the fact of the matter is that he is the Labour candidate and I'm not going to go up to Hartlepool and campaign for him. So I don't need to think anything else other than if he wins, 
it'd probably be nice not to see you know the Tory majority expand to 82 seats rather than 80 seats. Um, part of me also fears that this summer we're, we're going to see a kind of leadership attempt made against Starmer, and I don't think it's going to go very nice, and I think that we're going to be basically reminiscing for the days of last year's NEC leadership for party and fighting because I think it's going to be ugly and vicious, but I don't think the left would win. And that's because um, I, be I believe it's certain anti-Starmer groups are becoming so fractured and um, polarising. I don't think they're going to have the momentum needed to rightfully address the criticisms made against Keir's leadership. So th that's my view going forward. I would just love to see policy all of the policy laid out in front of me and for Starmer to look comfortable when he's talking about what he wants you know the future of Britain to be rather than nervously twitching at thinking what will the polling groups think hmm. Armand what do you think what do you expect to see in the in the coming months and years from Keir Starmer's leadership and what would you like to see well I'll talk about a little bit about the local election because uh, I have the luxury of living in a Labour stronghold that is London. And I not only that, I have the luxury of stand, sitting, sitting in a place where the prospects is going well. Uh, I think one of the best things that he Khan did early on, and I think it was quite astute with him, A, do his campaign early. So whoever, even if Corbyn became prime minister, he will still campaign. And then B, once Keir Starmer was elected, don't try and mention him a lot because Sadiq Khan is his own brand. And uh, and no matter what the people from Sussex say, he is popular. Uh, and he um, uh, and, I, and I think he will do well. I really hope he becomes, the uh, he wins on the first round because... Uh, um, because Sean Bailey is a massive twat, um, um, and and I think he, he I think he will I think Sean Bailey will do so badly that it's become such a concern that he might when he loses he will take a couple of Tory Assembly members with him. In terms of Keir Starmer, quite simply, been off the people who keep battering him about on about the red wall because it's clearly not working. Um, I mean, I know that might seem harsh because we need to win back those those seats, but they're clearly asking Keir Starmer to go for reactionary stuff and it's just not working. And Lauren is right when saying, what does Starmer... I think Keir Starmer should actually have a look in the mirror and say, what do, you, what do I actually want for this country? What do I, what do I want when I'm prime minister? Um, what do I personally want? Not what the pollsters want, not what, what they want. What do I want? What, what, what do I want to happen? Because, um, you know, uh, maybe we would see some things. I think li trying to be, trying to set his own thing. Because one, the biggest criticism I get from Keir Starmer is not the fact that, oh, he's too left-wing or he's too radical. It's that I don't know Keir Starmer. I don't know who he is. And the concerning thing is that the more they know about Keir Starmer, the, le the least they like him. So he's got to change that. I think a crumb of personality would help. Um, but we're now approaching the stage, you know, we're one year in, we'll have another year of all these things. But then in the last few years, we will have to see what he means by this sort of starmerism uh, and what it actually means. In terms of the leadership election, I genuinely think that won't happen because... Um, uh, the smart people on the left will say this is they won't even get past the first bit they wouldn't even get past the first stage which is getting enough people support from across the party to even get to the ballot but there's also the the thing is that they'll lose and they'll lose quite embarrassingly and they'll give 
against Selma Stronghold. Like the what like what the Labour right did in 2016 with Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, it vindicated him rather than got him in uh, got rid of him. And um I think there'll be enough smart I hope that there is enough smart people on the left to, to do so. Um but we have to but I think yeah Keir Starmer has to sit himself down um and say what do what do I want? What does Keir Starmer want? Uh, for Britain, not what what does the red rule want? What do I want for Britain? Because people elected me on that. Amy, what do you think? So I think, you know, at the minute there's been kind of, um, the, the leadership has been shy to kind of put out um, sort of really clear policy proposals. I, you know, they've kind of given the, the excuse that we're too far away from a general election. But I think that, you know, with, with, the, with the elections coming up in May, um, mm. I think that, you know, we, we need to make a lot of gains in those elections, specifically in um, devolved um, institutions. So I think there's real value to be putting out solid policy positions at the minute. Um, but also, you know, we need to be putting something out there. And we have seen some of a move towards this with the high street fund, but we do need more of it. And I think that's hopefully something that we'll see more as we kind of emerge from coronavirus of these more kind of substantive policy positions. Um, I mean, I, I hope as well that it's going to be a bit more ruthlessness like what we talked about before. Um, I'm hoping for a bit more of that. Obviously, you know, it's, it's been difficult at the minute, like, like was said before, um, with the PMQs, we haven't had, you know, all of the MPs in the chamber, um, so, you know, that, that kind of makes the atmosphere a bit different as well. But I'm hoping that, you know, we're able to have um, essentially just a Labour Party that will hold the Tories to account, the end of this kind of, um, this collaboration kind of thing. Not collaboration, sorry. What is it called? Cooperation. That's it. <laughs> sorry. Um, so hopefully we'll see the end of this, like, cooperation and we'll see... Um, them get off the fence more but you know they haven't been on the fence for every issue obviously but I think there has been a hesitancy towards kind of making more bold claims and I think that has to do with the the culture wars as well so hopefully we'll see a bit more of Labour kind of taking a stand on big issues. We're coming towards the end of the podcast it's been great to have all of you on and I have one final question for all of you. We've been talking about Keir Starmer's first year as leader of the Labour Party, and I'm sure that the people on this panel, uh, one or all of you, will end up as leader of the Labour Party at some point. So my final question to you is this. What, if you were to become leader of the Labour Party, would be the three words that you would most like to sum up your first year as leader of the Labour Party? Anyone can start. Uh, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> George, what would your three words be? I hope you keep this in so I, I can expose you to your audience, Will. Uh, when, when, when Will sent over the notes of roughly what we would be talking <laughs> over, he kept the final question just as final question, and I knew something was going to be up, and he was going to ask something tricky, and I'm so glad I was suspicious of that. Um, what three words would I want most associated with my first year of the Labour Party? Um, I would like um, principled, um, defined, and... Um, it's, it's got a hyphen in it, so it counts as one word, in touch. Um, I'll probably go frank, inclusive, honest. Um, okay, let's go for transformative, um, modernisation and inclusive. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think 
we need to transform like so many parts of our society from like housing to education. We really need to modernize internal Labour Party procedures as well. You know, it's it's kind of difficult to encourage people to kind of get involved in the Labour Party when they have to sit through like three, four hour CLP meetings um, and get very little done achieved in that time. And also inclusivity, you know, we need mm. to be taking more of a stand to support um, ethnic minorities and LGBT plus communities too. Uh, all a uh, selection of, of three uh, great um, words thank you once again for all of you uh, for coming on and recording the podcast if people want to find out more about each of you uh, where should they go uh, Amon if you could start um, well yeah Twitter uh, it's a lot of ramblings on stuff uh, particularly um, considering the fact that yeah Twitter is the main thing to go but also um uh, the 1987 Caucus, which is a group that I founded with people like Jermaine Jackman, uh, which is a group of young black me- male members uh, within the Labour Party. We're pushing for black issues and for better black representation. Uh, those two places are the places to go to know for me. Um, and yeah, if you are an ethnic, if you are a young Labour member uh, who is BAME, yeah, I would love to have a chat because I am running for the position for being with super young Labour. I have to put that in. Um, because I wouldn't be a good campaigner otherwise. <laughs> of course. Um, Lauren, where can people uh, find you or find out more about you if they would like to? Uh, so Twitter, presumably, which is L underscore D 1995 X. And I just chat a lot of rubbish, to be honest with you. So if you're looking for high quality content, not the one, um, <laughs> you can probably find me as well Um I am co-founder of Labour Coalition for Justice Reform, which is Labour underscore reform on Twitter and also um, Centre Think Tank. I'm their justice spokesperson as well. So that's just their app, Centre Think Tank. George, what about you? Well, if you want a bunch of disconjoined thoughts and the repetition of the you know joke about being arrested just for being English, but with slight variations on, you can find me at Fabian Fairhurst. However, if you want basically to understand what's going on in Yorkshire with um, regional Fabianism, check out the Yorkshire and Humberside Fabians page. We've got events coming up very soon, including one on bus enfranchisement, talking about the way in which councils can publicly own their bus networks. Very exciting. Alternatively, if you want to check out another podcast, which uh, has actually featured um, everyone on this panel before, most recently Lauren, check out Red Reporting. Um, We're currently doing a series, actually, where we're trying to take apart the phrase Red Wall by... Going through it seat by seat and looking at its history from 1935 to 2019 with someone from the area. It's quite entertaining, I'd say, which is a ringing endorsement for my content. So, Amy, uh, where can people uh, find you if they want to find out uh, more about you? You can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is amydwight23. Um, also, keep an eye out for the upcoming Young Fabian Education Pamphlet. It's going to be on, um, it's going to be called Towards the 21st Century Curriculum. It's going to be on how we can reform different parts of the curriculum to make it more relevant. Excellent. Thank you all of you uh, for coming on the podcast again. And I hope people uh, check you all out because you're all a fantastic fan, uh, panel. Thank you once again for coming on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.